Good morning, everyone. I love those last words that I read from the Gospel of John because they make all the difference in the world for me. Where Jesus says about the Holy Spirit that we know the Spirit because He is with us. But then He says that that the Spirit is not just with us, but that he will be in us. And, and I, I love those words. I mean, I just love them because it, to me they're transformational. The whole idea that God would not just be with me, around me, or greater than I, but the whole idea that God's Spirit would move in to my life, that move in into me, that God would choose me to be his temple, his house, it is one of the most empowering, powerful, and transformational concepts that I receive. That God is in me, inside of me. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's just amazing. I mean, amazing that us, that us, our bodies, inside of my soul, inside of my heart, inside of my mind, inside of the core of who I am and can be, can be inspired, created, molded by the very presence of God. And that is what, Jesus is also promising to you this day. Last week, I, I spoke to you and we looked at the idea of Jesus' ascension. And I, I told you that the title, of, or, or, or the, the, the title that I gave, I guess, to the sermon was, was up, down, and, and going out. And we, we spoke about uh, Jesus ascending. We spoke about what Jesus is now doing in heaven as our intercessor. And I explained that to you. And I also talked to you about the promise of Jesus and what the angels said at the ascension of Jesus. That yes, him that you see ascending is him that you will also see descending. Him that will come again. There is a promise of the second coming of Christ. But we live sandwiched between these two things. Jesus is coming to this earth as a, as a human being, dying on a cross, resurrecting from the dead, ascending to heaven, and a promise of second coming. This is the time in which the church, you and I, have a job to do. And so he sends us out. Uh, to our Jerusalems, to our Judeas, to our Samarias, and to the ends of the world. But the thing that is interesting about Pentecost is that he doesn't send us out all alone. And he doesn't send us out in our own power, and in our own abilities, and in our own intelligence, and in our own strength. He sends us out with the Holy Spirit. He sends us with God in the midst of us. Not only the midst where two or three are gathered together, but very much in the midst of my own life, my own personhood. 
He is the one that empowers who I am to be in this between time, this in-between time between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return. It is the empowerment of the church. The empowerment of the church to be all that God ever intended for his followers, his children, sons and daughters, heirs of the kingdom of God to have. And, and the job that he gave us all to do, which was to proclaim uh, him and to proclaim his word and to announce the coming of his kingdom. I want you to know that this day of Pentecost is not just a Christian feast or a Christian celebration. Pentecost, which means 50 days, it is the 50 days after the Passover or after Easter. After Easter, 40 days, I, I told you last week, 40 days Jesus taught his disciples and he appeared to them in many ways and proving constantly his resurrection and teaching them on the kingdom of God. And we talked about last week, 10 days after the, the Thursday before the 40th day, 10 days after come to this day, the day of Pentecost. And I want you to know that it was a Jewish celebration to begin with. It was the Feast of Weeks, which in the book of Exodus, we are told by God that every believer, every Jewish believer, every male in particular, over the age of 12, there were three feasts that they were supposed to come to the temple, to Jerusalem, from wherever they lived. One was Passover, the other one was the Feast of Weeks, and the other the, the Feast of Tabernacles uh, later on. Those three feasts were, were times when God wanted to remind his people. He wanted to remind his people of the things he had done. You see, I, I'm a firm believer that whenever God did something amazing, he threw a party. And he said to the people, and when I say a party, I, I mean a feast, but it's a party. It, it was a time of getting together to celebrate, but not just celebrate, it was a time to remember. Whenever God did something amazing for his people, he wanted to remind them every year of who he was and what he had done for them and what he could still do for them. Pentecost sort of celebrated, first of all, agriculturally is celebrated the first harvest uh, of, the, of the wheat season. But it also celebrated for the Jewish people, according to, to Jewish tradition and, and the rabbis, is celebrating the, the giving of the law to, to the Jews, to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. That that was a day in which God established a relationship with them. I will be your God and you will be my people. And of course we know that the Jewish people didn't always keep that. Uh, as we ourselves sometimes don't keep all of the commandments of the Lord either. But God kept telling them and reminding them to celebrate these feasts. To never forget who their God was and what their God could do and would do if they followed his word. And so throughout the prophets, we keep being reminded that God promised his Holy Spirit to be poured upon his people. We find it all through 
uh, through the prophet Isaiah. We find it in Jeremiah. Uh, we find it especially in the prophet Joel. Uh, we find it in, in many places in Scripture in the Old Testament. And then when we come to Jesus, especially the Gospel of John, Jesus constantly reminds them of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father to give His Holy Spirit. Jesus kept preparing His disciples for the day in which the Holy Spirit would come. And then, of course, during those 40 days, that he, the, His 40 days after the resurrection, uh, and as He was about to ascend, He told them that to wait in Jerusalem, to wait in Jerusalem for the fulfillment of, of the promise of the Father. That power would come upon them from on high. Not only do we have the prophets, Jesus himself is reminding all of us about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and so after Jesus ascended, for those 10 days, what we find in Scripture is we find the disciples huddled together in the upper room and we find them praying, and we find them in unity, and we find them seeking God, and we find them submitting to God. And on the 50th day, the day of Pentecost, Jews having come from all over, and there's a whole list there in the book of Acts, everywhere to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south, from wherever Jews had gone in the empire, they had come down to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem must have been buzzing with people and with celebration and with joys and with reading of scriptures and, 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 and family gatherings and friends gatherings and all kinds of things, and Jerusalem must have been buzzing. And the disciples are still in the upper room sort of hiding away in a way and what we're told in the book of Acts chapter 2 is that on that day, something amazingly transformational happened to them. Something like a great wind. Something like a great wind. And I think it's important that we recognize that it, it wasn't a wind, but something like a great wind just blew right through the house where the disciples were gathered. Something like a very strong storm just, just came into the house. And something like tongues of fire came upon each of them and stood upon each of their heads. And notice again that it wasn't actually tongues of fire, but something like similar like tongues of fire. Both the wind, the strong wind, and the fire, both of them are symbols of the power of God. Basically, what happened that day is God breathed upon them, and God just showed up, and God moved in. God moved in, not just inside the house. God moved into each of them. God had been with them, but now he moves inside each of the disciples. And the explosion was from within. And those that were scared and those that were still wondering about all the things that Jesus had taught them during those 40 days. And, and, and did they have the valor and the courage to go out into the world? All these things that they might have been going through together. 
it was like an explosion where they went out into the streets speaking in tongues. And not just tongues as you and I sometimes may hear, but tongues where everyone that had come from different countries, different regions, even though they were Jews, they were probably bilingual, both Hebrew and, and whatever the language of their country of where they lived uh, was. And, and even those that may have uh, lost the Hebrew because it happens in second and third generations, uh, of, uh, of the younger people, they start speaking the language of the, of the country where they're at. They began to hear in their own language, in Arabian, in Greek, in Latin, in, in, in all of the languages of the world that were present there, they all began to hear the disciples proclaim and announce the glory of God and the glorious works of God. Now, you may ask yourself, because it's a question that I always ask myself at this time, was this a miracle of tongues or was it a miracle of hearing? Was it that they each heard and they all spoke in tongues and they each heard in their own language? Or was it that each of the languages that they were speaking were like foreign language? The answer is, I don't know. But the answer is, why not both? Why not that they were speaking in tongues in languages that they had never spoken before, and they were being heard by those natives of other countries in their own language, the proclamation, the announcement of who God was and is and will forever be. And that was transformational, and it started. It started a, an avalanche, and it started a fire that started spreading all over because every one of those people that had come went home, went home to proclaim what they had seen, what they had heard, what they had experienced. And, and the Word of God begins to get spread all over the place, because of that thing that happened on the disciples that day. People sometimes divide over what to call it. Should it be called the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the indwelling of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit? I've said to you before, I don't care what you call it. Just let it happen. Just let it happen. Let the Holy Spirit move in. Let the Holy Spirit move in. Because without the Holy Spirit, we are left to our own power. We are left to our own feelings and how I feel today versus how I feel tomorrow. We are left to our own subjections of one another, of what can be done or should be done. Or With the Holy Spirit, we have one direction, which is God's direction. When the Holy Spirit moves into your life, the only direction to go is God's direction. God's move, God's teaching, God's word. There is no other direction. Without the Holy Spirit, we are left to our own abilities, to our own intelligence, to our own strengths, to our own fears and, and valors. 
with the Holy Spirit, we have the power of God that transforms us, transforms us so that we can transform the world to which we are sent. And I think it is very important that we understand that the first thing that the Holy Spirit does, in my opinion, the first thing that the Holy Spirit does is transforms us. I mean, it's, it's like God moves in and he starts rearranging our values, our feelings, our emotions, our agendas. And we start moving away from what I think to what he thinks. What I say to what he says. When the Holy Spirit starts moving in, I don't think there's one area inside of us that doesn't get challenged. There's not one area in our lives that doesn't get touched and healed and burned away. There's not one area of our lives which is left outside of the scrutiny of the Lord. When the Holy Spirit moves in, it's He moves in. He changes everything. He changes my thoughts. He changes my intentions. He changes my empowerment from self-empowerment to God-empowerment. He changes my abilities from things I may learn in school or that I uh, was born with or what abilities I had to the abilities of God. And that's where the gifting comes in. He changes everything and the fruit that begins to flow from me is a different fruit than just the mere old man that I was. I begin to flow into the Spirit of God and the things that the Spirit of God begins to do in me. So the first thing that the Holy Spirit does, and, and I can tell you the first thing the Holy Spirit did in me was just to transform me. To transform me and to set me on fire. There's, there's three things in particular that I want to tell you that are going to happen immediately upon you receiving the Holy Spirit. One is that you will be confronted by your sins. The Holy Spirit will clearly show you those areas of your life where you are not walking with the Lord where you are not being obedient, and you become much more aware of your selfishness, of your pride, of your, uh, your strength in yourself, your dependence on yourself. You begin much, become much more aware of all of those things that ruled our lives that were not God. All those decisions that we made thinking that it, they were the right decision. And now all of a sudden we are caused to look at them in new light and with a new power and with a new presence. And we realize that every one of those things that we did, though they felt good at the time, they were not godly. And they moved me actually away from God. One of the first things the Holy Spirit does in my life and did in my life is to make me confront my sin, my need for repentance, my need for forgiveness, my need for confession, I became so much more aware of the difference between righteousness and the world, between holiness and sin. I became much more aware of this battle within me with sin. 
And the second thing that the Holy Spirit does in me, the, the, the first thing that was that, the second thing is it draws me to Jesus. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to cause me to, to fall down and to seek Jesus and to seek the forgiveness and to seek his word. One of the first thing I did when I became, uh, when I was baptized in the spirit is, is I just sought the word of God. I just wanted to get everything. I wanted to read everything. I wanted to learn everything about the Holy Spirit. I went to every conference I could go on, on the Holy Spirit. I just couldn't have enough of wanting to know God and wanting to love God. And in loving God, I fell in love with God's people. And I fell in love with God's people. And I wanted to be with God's people because if that's where God is, that's where I want to be. And the third thing the Holy Spirit would do almost immediately is he will draw you to the cross. And you will come to understand the love of God that is supernatural. A love of God that gives his son and sacrifices him on a cross so that you can have salvation. So that you can be set free. So that you can be now in relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Those are the, the first three things. I mean, I, I, they could be a sermon all on their own. I could go on and on about these things. But there's so much more I wanted to say to you today. But those are the things that, that immediately would sort of happen inside. And then the second thing is what he will do in you as he sends you out. As he works, his works in you, there arises a necessity to go tell others, to go share with others, to go and represent God in the lives of others. And that's where the fruit of the Spirit comes in, the peace and the joy and the gentleness and the self-control and all of those things. And then you are given gifts, each one of you, at the very least, has one gift. At the very least, you are gifted supernaturally. And I would say to you, there, there's a number of passages in Scripture that will tell you a little bit about each gift, but there's so much that has been taught on the gifts of the Spirit that if you really want to know, you can seek it. But I would invite you to start with 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. I invite you to look at Romans uh, chapter 13, I believe, and Ephesians uh, as well. Chapter 4, I believe, of Ephesians. I would like you to look at those passages and to take a look at the Word of God because the gifts are many. And I want to say to you, the gifts are not just the charismatic gifts. There's all sorts of gifts. The gift of mercy. The gift of generosity. The gift of service. The gift of of administration, the gift of evangelism, the gift of preaching, the gift of love. That's what chapter 13 is all about. That those are gifts that God has given the church and empowered the church to go do them. And then comes the supernatural gifts, things that you can even think about. Speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, discerning spirits, prophesying, faith miracles 
words of wisdom, words of knowledge. And, and, and the more that the Spirit gives you, the more you need to learn more about them. How do you use them? And so on. But a church empowered by the Holy Spirit will be a church gifted from heaven with abilities that this world needs and this world cannot offer. The gifts of the Spirit are the gifts of God who wants to empower you to go into the world and change the world for His glory and for His praise. We sometimes get stuck on how do I receive the Holy Spirit. And I just want to say to you for one thing that you cannot control the Holy Spirit. That's one thing I've learned. You cannot control the Holy Spirit. Some people think, well, you receive the Holy Spirit this way or you receive the Holy Spirit this way. Let me tell you, even in Scripture, people receive the Holy Spirit in different ways. And at different times. The regular ways in which you receive the Holy Spirit that we find in Scripture is that you come to faith. And I think it always begins with coming to faith in Jesus and surrendering to Jesus. I don't think you will be filled with the Holy Spirit without surrendering to Jesus. And confessing your, your, your faith and confessing your salvation. I don't think so. I don't see it anywhere in Scripture. But what I do see is that the moment you come to faith and you are baptized, you are baptized in the Holy Spirit or filled with the Holy Spirit. We find that in a number of places. We find it, for example, uh, we find it with the eunuch. We find it in Paul. Paul spent three days blind. He couldn't see with scales in his eyes. And the moment the scales fell off and he heard Ananias tell him about God, and Jesus and what the Father was calling and what Jesus was calling him to, it says that he was baptized and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The eunuch comes to Philip and Philip hears him teaching uh, or, or reading Isaiah 53. And he has questions and he says, what can I do to be baptized? And he said, come, the moment we find water, they find some water, he gets baptized and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The norm seems to be that when you are baptized in faith, you are baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit. But then there's a number of other places where it doesn't happen that way. Because the Spirit will come when the Spirit wants to come and not when you want Him to come. We find, for example, uh, when Philip, I think, goes to Samaria and, and they hear the word of God and, and people get converted and all of that. And then Peter comes later with John, I believe, and he comes and he says, have they received the Holy Spirit? No, they haven't. They've just been baptized. So he prays for them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And in another occasion, so that, that happened, the baptism with water and then later the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But then when we come to Cornelius' house, we find the reverse. We find that the word was preached, they believed, were baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then they got baptized with water. The complete reversal. Then we have another situation where Paul encounters a number of, of people from Alexandria, I believe, from Egypt, and 
encounters them in the area of, of Ephesus, and he says to them, have you received the Holy Spirit? They say, no, what's this Holy Spirit? They had not even heard of the Holy Spirit. These were Gentiles. And, and Paul says to them, but were you baptized? Yeah, we were baptized in water, the, the baptism of John. And he says, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you've, you're missing something. And he lays hands on them, and they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. He baptizes them again in the name of Jesus, and then they receive the Holy Spirit. That's the only place in Scripture that I find somebody being baptized twice. But the, the issue is that God wants desperately to give you His Spirit. His greatest gift he can give you is for him to move into your life and he wants it and he's promised it and he's announced it and now he made it happen on the day of Pentecost and he wants you still today June 1st for you to be filled baptized and dwelled by the Holy Spirit he wants to move into your life and that would lead me to just kind of the conclusion that I want to share with you. So how do I do it? What, what, what do I do to receive the Holy Spirit? Well, in, in simple terms, because, I mean, there's so much I can spend time teaching you, and I pray that one day I will do that. But simply, the first thing you need to do is ask yourself, can I be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Can I? Because it's important that you, if you have questions about God, or you have questions about Jesus, or you have questions about the Holy Spirit, that you get those questions answered and resolved. Because in answering those questions, your heart will be open. If you have doubts about God, if you have doubts about Jesus' death on the cross, if you have doubt about the Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen. And not that he can't. As I said before, he can do whatever he wants. But you can prepare the ground for the Holy Spirit to move in with ease. And the first questions you need to answer is, can I be filled? Am I ready? Have I confessed my sins? Have I received Jesus as my Lord? Can I receive the Holy Spirit? When you are convinced that you can indeed receive the Holy Spirit, that it is God's will, that it is God's promise, that it is God's gift, and that you move to the second question. The second question is, do I really truly want the Holy Spirit? Do I really want the Holy Spirit? Because that's, that's a mighty question. One thing about the Holy Spirit, He's not going to force Himself into your life. I read a book one time by a great theologian, and the title of the book was The Holy Spirit, The Gentle Person of God. The Gentle Person. When you open your life to the Holy Spirit, when you really want the Holy Spirit, He will come. He will come into your life. Do you truly want God to move in, knowing He will rearrange your life? Knowing that he will give you power and send you to do things that you may not want to do. But you'll become passionate about it. Do you want 
to receive the Holy Spirit. He will not force you. The third thing I would, I would say to you is, is simply ask. Jesus teaches us that if we ask the Father, He will give us His Spirit. He tells us that in the Gospel of Luke. He says, if, if fathers not being as good as God is Father will not give a son or a daughter a scorpion instead of a piece of bread. We will always want to give them the best. How much more will your Father in heaven give you His Spirit if you ask them for it? So it's just simply saying, Father, I want your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come into my life. And just open your life to receiving the Holy Spirit. And, and lastly, one of the things I find in Scripture, and I mean, again, I can say so much about these things, is that the laying on of hands becomes uh, important. It's one way we find in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is, is given to people as hands are laid upon them. Ananias laid hand on Paul. Paul laid hands on a number of people. So many of the of what we find in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit flows from one person to the other through the laying on of hands. And so that's one thing you can, uh, you can ask. You can ask people who are believers. You can ask your pastor. You can ask friends who are Spirit-filled that you are ready, that you want the Holy Spirit, that you are open to receive the promise of God, and ask them to... Uh, to lay hands on you and ask and ask the Father to give you His Spirit. However, I have heard of lots of people who just simply ask God and God fills them up. I remember a family member of mine who says he was going down the freeway and all of a sudden he felt this impulse to stop his car, get off the freeway, and go to a church that he saw. A, he didn't even know what, what denomination it was or anything. He opened the door of the church when churches were open and you could just uh, go in. He sat in the back pew. He started praying and boom, the Holy Spirit came upon him. He started crying. He started speaking in tongues. He started feeling the transformation of God. He was so empowered. And... I want to tell you the Holy Spirit comes whenever He wants to, however He wants to, but I think it's so important that we desire Him and that we open ourselves to Him and desire Him so much that you just ask the Father to fill you. And let me tell you, when you ask Him, He will not turn you back. He will fill you with His Spirit. And what happened to the church? Well, the church changed the world. The church changed the world. The spirit-filled church changed the world. And you and I are believers today because someone guided by the Spirit of God spoke the word to us or preached the word to us or sang the word to us or prayed for us and we received it. But I want to tell you today that today is Pentecost Sunday. And our world is in terrible need of spirit-filled believers. Our world is in need of spirit-filled believers willing to obey the Lord and to go and do what God wants us to do. 
to love him with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The Spirit of God is not just with us. The Spirit of God wants to be in us. And I want to invite you. Right now. I want to invite you to just take a moment. And ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Just ask him. Father God. I pray for all my brothers and sisters who are hearing me right now. I pray you, Father, in the name of Jesus, His holy name, I pray to you to fill the lives of my brothers and sisters with your Holy Spirit. Wherever they are right now, whoever they are right now, wherever they come from, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, uncork the lives of your people and let us bubble out into the men and women that you want us to be. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come upon us, O oh Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. 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 Fill, fill your family. Fill your children. Fill your church. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. As I close my sermon, I just want to ask you to not just leave it at a sermon. I want you to seek God with all your heart. I want you to pray every day that He would fill you with His Spirit. I want you to just surrender and, and open up the doors of your heart and let him come in. Seek and learn everything you can. Read scripture. Read through the book of Acts. See, the book of Acts is not just the Acts of the Apostles. The book of Acts is the Acts of the Holy Spirit on the Apostles or in the Apostles. Read through the book of Acts. Seek God, and you will find him, and he will find you.